Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Soundprints for the week of July 30, 2017. This past Wednesday, Patty Cox and I were pleased to attend the July Peer Support Group meeting at the Bluegrass Council of the Blind in Lexington. They invited me to speak on how blind and visually impaired people can raise children and provide child care for grandkids, nieces, nephews, and so on, on a short or long-term basis. Thirty-eight people were at the meeting, and we had a great time having lunch and meeting everyone. This week's Low Vision Support Group at the United Crestnell Ministries in Louisville was a great success. Brian Gomer from Lab Computers presented a very informative program. Brian is representative for Humanware, Eschenbach, and other companies. There was also time for participants to try out the handheld and video magnifiers he brought along with him. The next Low Vision Support Group meeting will be on August 10. We held our first page-turners activity as part of the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout this past Friday. Many good books, both fiction and non-fiction, were suggested. Topics included finding work-at-home opportunities, cooking, short stories and mysteries and thrillers, and beyond. The next page-turners will be Friday, September 23, at Roundabout. Last week, we met Doug Powell, who just joined the ACB board as a director. We discovered that Doug's first job out of college was with the Barnum and Bailey Circus. You just never know what you're going to find out here on Soundprints. This week, we're talking with Dan Spoon, the newly elected ACB first vice president from Orlando, Florida. Dan's got some surprises in store for us, too, from his past. Listen on page two. Brian Charlson is the director of technology at the Carroll Center in Boston. This week, on page 3, Brian discusses accessibility of home appliances, both large and small. Brian loves to cook, as you know from past sound prints, and he'll tell us about his new stove and cooking gadgets in his man cave in his home in Watertown, Massachusetts. And on page 4 is the sound prints calendar. Page 2. Dan Spoon is the new first vice president of the American Council of the Blind. He's been on the ACB board of directors since 2012 and was just recently in Reno elected to the office of first vice president. Dan is from Orlando, Florida, and we're real pleased that he has moved up into to that office. But we're going to take some time here on Soundprints to, to meet Dan, the, the person behind the first vice president. So, Dan, welcome to Soundprints. We're glad you're here. Well, thank you, Carla. Thanks for inviting me, and uh, always have a fondness in my heart for Louisville, where I got elected to the board the, for the first time. So uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, glad, to, glad to speak to everybody there in, uh, in Louisville today. Well, kind of introduce yourself to us. T- tell us... Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, if you've always lived in Orlando, you know, where you went to school, what your interests are, you know, those kinds of things. Sure, be happy to. Well, um, I am actually was not born in Orlando. I was born in Athens, and, and not Athens, Greece, but Athens, Tennessee. 
Oh. Uh, my dad was uh, played football for the University of Tennessee. In fact, he was on in, recruited by General Nayland. If any Tennessee volunteers have ever oh heard of goodness. General Nayland, he was in his last uh, scholarship class there in uh, 1952, way back there. And uh, so after he got done playing, he got a job uh, as a football coach, a head football coach at Etowah High School in East Tennessee. And so that's where I came along. And uh, then uh, in, I was born in Athens because Etowah wasn't big enough to have a hospital. So <laughs> the closest hospital was in Athens. Okay. Kind of near Cleveland, Tennessee, in that area. And then um, at the age of two, my family, uh, my mom was pregnant with my sister, and they had come to uh, Daytona Beach, Florida on their honeymoon and fell in love with Florida. And so they actually uh, relocated. Dad got a coaching job in a, in a school in Orlando called Edgewater High School. And we all moved down when I was two, and my mom was eight months pregnant with my sister. So oh, my goodness. They came down, and then shortly after that, my sister was born. And so it's the four of us, and uh, we've kind of lived in Orlando ever since. So pretty much kind of like a native. I've been here for, mm -hmm. well, I'm now 60, so I've been here 58 years. So mm -hmm. as far as I know, I've always lived in Orlando. So, right. Yeah. Well, and so you obviously were not going to be, um, I, I wouldn't think of you as a football player. Were you into sports as a kid? Oh, I was. You know, mm -hmm. being, my dad was a football coach, and also I played football, played basketball. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I've, my blindness is due to retinitis pigmentosis. So mm -hmm. as I've gotten older, I got diagnosed when I was six years old, just a kid. I went up to Tennessee to visit my grandparents for the summer, and my grandmom was real worried I wasn't seeing things real well, so it took me to a, a specialist, and they, they said, oh, you're, you know, your grandson has looks like retinitis pigmentosis. So my family all kind of freaked out there and learned all they could about it, and um, so, um, you know, I, I continued, I was kind of in, you know, through, went through the public school system and my vision kept getting worse, uh, you know, with, as RP does as you get older. Right, so, right. Uh, and I had kind of that, I don't know what you call it, the, the form where uh, not so much the typical tunnel vision, but I had really issues with uh, light, you know, bright lights really bothered me, so I had to wear, you know, wore prescription sunglasses from an early age there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, got declared as legally blind when I was in high school. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of uh, played some sports along, you know, played baseball till they hit the ball up in the sky, and I couldn't see it anymore, and it <laughs> almost hit me in the head. So that ended my Little League career. And so then, much for that career, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then I... I went ahead and did play a little football in high school, but was never, uh, you know, they, they always said about me, uh, Dan Spoon is slow, and but he's also small. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, so that so career didn't last very long either. <laughs> and, and so I didn't play a lot, but I was on the team. And I, uh -huh. and I will say it was a, it was a really good character-building experience. Mm -hmm. I would encourage people to always be involved in some team sport competition mm -hmm. club. I mean, it just really, you know, helps you deal with adversity and have a common goal and those type of things. So mm -hmm. even though I wouldn't say by any means I was a great athlete, I did enjoy the opportunity to play, you know, through mm -hmm. my high school years. What were some of the other 
things you were interested in 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 high school, maybe on you know as an adult, uh, the kinds of you know hobbies or clubs, those kinds of things. Yeah, so so I have always been kind of a sports fan, and then um, uh, you know went on to the University of Florida when I graduated from high school, and um, you know spent, so so being a Florida Gator fan, I got to always kind of watch all the different sports there. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, enjoyed that. And then, you know, just kind of the, the normal guy stuff there. I liked, uh, you know, going out and listening to music and going to clubs and that type of stuff. And I've always had a real um, interest in mathematics. I was, I was good in math growing up. So, um, you know, ended up kind of getting my degrees and my undergraduate degree in finance and then my master's in accounting. So, um you know, worked a lot, you know, with numbers and that kind of stuff early on in my career. So, uh, and just had a really good group of buddies growing up that always were kind of willing to work with me with my vision. Uh, so, you know, if we played basketball, they used a red, white, and ball, blue ball so I could see it. When we played handball, we were the only kids in the neighborhood, we played handball with a volleyball so I could see the volleyball and stuff like that. So, I grew up with this really good group of buddies that I've stayed in touch with, you know, my whole life. Uh, met them, you know, in junior high school, and we've remained friends ever since. So uh, I spend time with them and, uh, you know, just uh, enjoy going out and doing things and having a good time. Um, I've, I've always felt, that, you know, um, that one great thing we can do as blind and visually impaired people is go out there and socialize and be members of the community and it's amazing how that can be almost the best form of advocacy it really um, it's, it's good to get out there and, and get involved and show your face and, and just be a you know a, a, a contributing member of the community I've always felt mm-hmm. now when you got out of college you had the master's in accounting mm-hmm. um, what did you, did you go to work? Uh, did, have you always worked at the um, one place, or have you worked oh. several places? Yeah, well, that's kind of, actually um, that was a that was a fairly difficult time for me. I um, while while I had gone to college, I you know one thing about living in Orlando, Florida, Florida, you're right next to the Mouse House, you know. <laughs> yes. World, so <laughs> I worked for the Mouse, you know, there as a um, uh, what they used to call a casual temporary. So oh. when I wasn't going to school, I worked at Disney, you know, at uh, Christmases and summers and spring breaks and, mm-hmm. and those type of things. And I actually worked in the entertainment department, so which is the, the characters. And so Dan, I, did you wear mouse ears? No, no, no. no the <laughs> Mickey's are, if you're going to be a Mickey or Minnie, you have to be, you can only be like four foot ten. Oh, I see. Really okay. short. And well, so, no, that wouldn't fit you. No, no. so I no. was the six foot and above character, so I got to be Goofy and Tigger <laughs> and Brer Bear and Baloo and all those kind of things. And so, uh, and it Dan, was kind of interesting. With it my, just doesn't fit. <laughs> Just doesn't fit. There, you know, I was, uh, you know, I used to have to wear, you know, dark sunglasses underneath my, uh, you know, costumes with right. uh, this defogger on it so they wouldn't fog up because it'd be 150 <laughs> degrees in Florida in the summertime in those costumes. Oh, I'm sure. 
Oh. But, uh, but it was fun. I, I always uh, – one story I like to tell there is we used to do what we called uh, uh, castle forecourt. So you would, you would go to Cinderella's castle, and you'd be dressed up, and you'd go out down the ramps and sign autographs and all that stuff. And so our supervisor grabbed me and took me back behind the fence uh, to – you know, for what they call kind of a special VIP session. And so I get back behind the fence, and it's Jimmy Buffett and his wife and their three-year-old daughter. And so, you know, you're not allowed to talk when you're in those costumes. And so, you know, here comes Jimmy Buffett up to him, and he says, Br'er Bear, could we get your autograph? And I said, well, this is something else. I am giving Jimmy Buffett my autograph, and I want to say, oh, Jimmy, I love your autograph. I love your music. You know, I've been to 10 of your concerts, you know, but instead i got to sit there and sign Br'er Bear and Jimmy Buffett's <laughs> autograph book for his daughter. So anyway, <laughs> oh, things that will happen to you. What so, a story. Yeah. So, oh, so yeah. So I kind of did that, and when I, when I graduated, I had this feeling, you know, I'd done pretty well in my academic courses and mm-hmm. so you know back then you you're, you're my age caller so you'd remember there was what they called the big eight accounting firms so these mm-hmm. were the kind of the the real large accounting firms and I interviewed with all of them and and you know my friends people actually I'd even help tutor to get through some of their accounting oh. classes were all getting jobs oh. and I wouldn't even get in a second call back and finally company that's now been bought by somebody else, but they were called Price Waterhouse at the time. Mm-hmm. So they called me back for a second interview, and you know, I thought the interview went well, and finally the partner pulls me aside into another room and says, Dan, I've taken your story, I've, I've socialized it around our, our firm, but we're just not going to hire a blind or visually impaired person to come be an accountant. They, they, you know, they just see, can't see how that could possibly work out mm-hmm. and you know of course it was a different era that was like 1980 right and, and no computers at, either and at that right and at mm-hmm. that point in time he said you know dan we just hired our first woman two years ago <laughs> so you know so okay. this is just way too big of a stretch for us to hire a disabled person and so mm-hmm. so i went back to my um college accounting professors and said you know what do i do and they said well dan we really recommend that you go get your doctorate and just become a, a professor. And I'm like, gosh, I'm 24 years old. I've been going to college. I've been going to school since I was five. You know, I, I want to go do something different. And so I want to go to work. And so at that point in time, I went back to my Division of Blind Services counselor here in Florida, and they, they got me an interview at Disney where I had worked all those summers. Okay. And they offered me a job making $4 an hour as an accounts payable clerk. And I said, well, what are you talking about? I've got a master's degree. And they said, well, this is the way we start everybody. And I'm like, no, you don't. And so I, you know, I was just extremely frustrated. So this is a total 180, Carla, but my college roommate and, and one of my close friends, Lou Nostro, hit his parents owned a couple of pizza places in Orlando. And so I, I got Lou's brother, Mike, to teach me how to make pizzas and subs. And me and a friend named Jerry, we opened up a pizza place. And so that's what I did when I got out of college. I opened up DG's Pizza. We had Goodness. no Italian blood in us whatsoever, but my name was Dan and his name was Jerry with a G. Uh. 
we put eyes in it to make it look Italian, so it was DG's Pizza. Oh. And so for the next uh, seven or eight years, I ran a pizza restaurant with uh, my partner, Jerry. First we had one, then we opened up a second one. And it was a really good experience. You know, I was in a small neighborhood community in, outside of Orlando, a community called Okoy, Florida. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we... Uh, you know, we sold pizzas and subs, and then we later on we started delivering, and we had videos for rent that people could come in. We had a whole wall of VHS videos, <laughs> and so you know, it was it was a really good experience that mm-hmm. helped me understand you know business and customers, and you know balancing payroll and and budgets and those type of things and sales, but. As I got older, my employees kind of all stayed the same age. You know, you hire 16, 17-year-olds, and as soon as they are out of high school, they're ready to leave the pizza business and go on to other jobs, yeah. go to college. And you work. get more 16 and 17-year-olds. So at some point there, I felt like I became a babysitter, and my vision kept getting worse and worse and worse. And right. so at that point in time, I uh, kind of changed my, really did another 180, and I went back to our community college. It's called Valencia Community College here in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And they offered a program called High Tech Training for the Disabled, where they were teaching people how to be mainframe COBOL programmers and job control language, uh, you know, uh, JCL. Uh, and so I went and took this program, which it was, uh, it was nine months. You had to go from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, uh, oh and wear a, uh, a Navy suit and tie to, to community college every day. So back in the you know, late 80s, everybody's in tie-dye shirts and cut-off <laughs> shorts, and I'm in a three-piece suit walking around this college campus with a group of uh, my other disabled buddies. Uh-huh. I was the only blind person. They had, they had offered it to all disabled people except for blind people. Oh. So they finally... <laughs> open it up where a blind person could, could try to take the courses because mm-hmm. they were finally getting the computers to where they could do a little bit of large print or have a little bit of audio. Right. You know? So, right. you know, it's hard to think of it back then, but they, they had, you know, the, the personal computer had just kind of gotten, you know, invented or that's right. a year yeah. or earlier. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I went through that program and, uh, you know, I ran my pizza place at nights and on the weekends and then did that during the week. Uh, and that was hard. I had to, uh, you know, cut my pay down to almost nothing, $75 a week, in order mm-hmm. to hire somebody to kind of manage the place when I wasn't there. Sure, so, during the day. During the day, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was really kind of living on uh, living on pizza, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and so... But once I got through the program, um, the one thing that they had going for them was they had um, put a good business advisory council together with the you know top 15 or so businesses in, in, in Orlando, Florida, uh-huh. the Disney's, the SeaWorlds, the AT&T's. And so I was lucky enough to get a job, uh, an, in, an unpaid internship with Westinghouse uh, Electric. Um, so... Uh, I went to work for them and uh, did that for three months when I got out of the program. And then after that, they offered me a an entry-level position as a computer programmer, and that was 1989. And I ended up 
you know, basically doing that until I retired in 2014. So I ended up working for first Westinghouse, and then we were bought by Siemens Energy mm-hmm. along the way. And so that that was kind of my real professional career. I ended up doing that for, for 25 years and moving from a programming position up into a job in accounting for a while. Finally got to do the accounting. Yeah. Yeah. And then ultimately, uh, I became a project manager for our um, doing kind of global implementations of, of software and business processes. You know, ended up being a, a second level manager there with, you know, 30 or 40 people working for me and then a, and then a number of contractors. So it ended up being a really good career, but it was a, it was, it was, it was through lots of, uh, uh, different trials and tribulations to finally get there. What a great story, though. <laughs> because, Dan, you yeah. know, kids coming out of school today, they expect, and not just kids with disabilities, just right. kids in general, they expect to get into whatever their dream position is immediately. And mm-hmm. and they never give consideration to moving up through the ranks or figuring out how they're going to get to that job and having to take something else in between. That's just not even in their thoughts. You oh, know? no. And, 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 you, and what I learned, and I'm sure you learned this along the way, too, you've kind of got to be your own best self-advocate, and right. you've got to figure out how you can get the job done, given whatever, you know, materials right. and skills you have available at the time and so you know that you know what i learned is i i don't not, this is not to disparage the rehab system or the division of blind services or any of those things but i got very little support through my career from the division of blind services i i mainly uh it, it ended up kind of really kind of making my own breaks along the way and kind of you know pushing to, um, you know, to kind of get what I needed to get the job done. And and a lot of that is just networking and developing good relationships. Well, Dan, uh, I just really congratulate, we congratulate you on being ACB's first vice president. Really look forward to um, all the things that I'm sure you will contribute toward the guidance of the organization in that position. And, um, I know it's going to be a good two years. So, um, again, congratulations. And, you know, thanks for being with us on Soundprints. Hope you'll be with us again soon. Okay. Thank you very much, Carla. I appreciate the time. And don't be a stranger now just because you're not on the board. We want to still hear from Carla. Oh, well, you know, I have a problem in knowing when to not contribute. So (laughs) I'm sure I'll manage to show up some. Very good. APH is Nearby Explorer is a full-featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings, including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store. Send to Braille is a free tool for creating a Braille file quickly in Windows. It adds a shortcut to your Send to Folder menu. Once installed, simply point to a file, 
right-click, select Send To, select Braille to create a quick Braille file instantly. Download Send To Braille from the American Printing House for the Blind at tech.aph.org lt. Page 3. I'm chatting with Brian Charlson. We've been having a very interesting discussion about some of the new technology that's coming out, especially in the area of iPhone apps and related things. So why don't you begin wherever you would like to begin, and let's tell people what these new wonderful things are that can help people who are blind or with low vision. Sure, no problem. Now, I'm down in my man cave area, and I'm standing next to my new stove. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, in my man cave, I have a stove. It tells you I've got a bad habit. <laughs> but in this, but when I, you were on Sound Prince with us before, you were just getting ready to buy that stove. I'm just getting ready to buy. Yeah, it. so I'm glad it's so, there. <laughs> so I bought it, and you know the things I was looking for was first something that would fit in the space available. Right? Yeah, that's kind of critical. That's kind of important. <laughs> I think you bought a new one here not too long ago, and it had to be. 40 inches, right? The standard is 32. So I wanted the burners to have knobs. Mm-hmm. And I wanted those knobs to be on the back rather than the front mm-hmm. because I have young people who come through here from time to time. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them being able to reach up and grab a knob right. when they're that small, right? Right. And all of that is, is quite accessible. You know, I can turn a knob and I can label it with, uh, with a, some form of dots at the temperatures that I care about. Um, and it's the burners, it's one of those flat surface mm. ones where there is no real burner. Mm-hmm. But I the ceramic? carefully looked. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I carefully looked at it, and I found one that had a little texture at the ring mm-hmm. of the burner. Mm-hmm. So if I want to, I can feel that ring, put the pot on where it belongs, then turn on the burner. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you, in all honesty, mostly what I do is I turn on the burner and then hover the pot over the, the heat and set it down and center it so that the same amount of heat is coming up on each side of the pan mm-hmm. so I know that it's centered. Now, that works out really fine when I'm using some of these burners, but, you know, these modern ones have a burner that's a burner within a burner. Okay. A small burner in the center of a big burner. Oh. And if okay. you take that knob for that burner and turn it clockwise, then you're setting the temperature for the inner burner. If you turn it counterclockwise, that half of the turn is for the bigger burner. So that one burner can be used for a big pot or a little pot. Oh. That's kind of nice. Okay. Uh, in my world, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes I'm using three smaller pans rather than one very big one, and uh, trying to cook in a big one uh, over a big burner with a little pot. So that sort of yeah. eliminates where um, they, they, you know, they used to have two small burners and two large burners on a stove, exactly. and and you would try to match that up with your with your the pot size pot you're exactly. using. So now you can use any of your burners for a small pot or a large pot. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So that's that's nice. Mm-hmm. The other thing that was new to me, it might not be new to you, but these new stoves, you can get them programmed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you do certain combinations of pushing things to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's a real computer or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But you can program it to be what's called a, um, oh, 
got to say the word right here, a um, Sabbath, Sabbath setting. Okay. Because those who are Orthodox Jews can't use tools during the Sabbath. Okay. So how would they deal with cooking then? Well, the answer here is they can leave the stove on on Saturday. Oh. And it will be on for their use throughout the Sabbath without them having to turn anything on. Oh, good heavens. And then turn it off after sunset on the Sabbath. So in doing that kind of thing, there's a one problem, and that is the device in question is not supposed to be doing anything but staying what it already was. Okay. Hot. Okay. Right? Oh, my. Problem is that there's a display on this stove that shows the temperature. Mm-hmm. And there's a display on the stove that shows the time. Okay. And those are things that change mm-hmm. on the Sabbath, and they don't want that. So this feature allows you to turn that off. Okay. Just for those who <coughs> who practice that dietary restriction. Oh, or not my dietary, goodness. but that uh, work restriction in their lives. Uh-huh. I, I think that's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, but be careful that when you get the stove, you don't accidentally program it that way. Right. Uh, or life is going to be just a little bit different. So I'm enjoying <laughs> technologies, but it's it's been more than a slight struggle mm-hmm. finding appliances that work for me mm-hmm. uh, as they get capable of doing more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, also in my little man cave kitchen down here is where we keep the washer and dryer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, like most of the people who are listening to this, have gone and put peel and stick dots at different positions on the knobs so that I know if I turn it to this, it's going to be for whites, and therefore it's going to be hot water wash. And this one is going to be for colored clothes, and so it's going to be a cold water wash. And, it's, and over on the dryer, you know, whether it's going to be a, you know, a, what do they call that, press-free? Permanent press? You know, all those kind mm-hmm. of things that mm-hmm. you can set these things at. Mm-hmm. Well, a modern washer or a modern uh, dryer now has touch panels and right. you can say I want this on short cycle uh, and I want it for new bright clothes which are more <laughs> likely to leak a little color in the process right, and right. all these variables that you can do right. and it works just fine except you can't label it with dots right. because if you choose color for example suddenly the whole display has only choices that deal with color mm-hmm if you choose whites, all of the choices are whites. So they're not, all, and they're in the place where something else used to be. Right. So you can't do that kind of thing. Right. So I was really excited to see a post out of ACB the other day uh, talking about a young man from your neck of the woods down in Louisville mm-hmm. who was in the process of inventing a way for a visually impaired relative to be able to use their washer and dryer more independently. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll do some follow-up on that. Uh, yes. Between you and I, we'll do a little research and bring it back to people to see if this really will work for us to add on appliance that makes those buttons talk. Right, right. Um, and that, that could be really a game-changer for me. It could. Um, I'm sure that some of my whites have taken on different hues over the time. <laughs> There's <laughs> always the jokes about the pink underwear, underwear, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> right you yeah. don't want to go to the gym wearing pink underwear it gets you in trouble <laughs> no uh, <laughs> but going back so, to the stove um 
people a lot of times in our low vision group, we have a new low vision group that started meeting um, twice a month, and it, it began in February. And and some of them say, well, how you know I can't I can't use my stove anymore. And in in some of the stoves, especially you know with the ovens, there's not mm -hmm. a knob with the ovens. And on my stove, I don't have a knob for my oven. I have knobs for my burners, right. so that's not a problem. But my oven could could be a problem because when I first got it, it was a nice flat panel. Yeah. In in exploring the panel, you discover that sometimes you can press press in, and there will be a little beep. Well, what's that beep? You know, you just don't know. But um, I, I, you would you would probably use your little peel-off dots. I use a piece of scotch tape and put it on, um, you know, wherever I press to turn my oven on bake, for example. And, and on my particular stove, when I press that, if it has engaged, it will beep. If it hasn't, if I didn't press it hard enough, then it doesn't beep. So I know that I have not actually turned... Um, that oven on. When I press bake, it defaults to 350, and so a lot of things are cooked at 350, so you don't have to change it. But if I want it at 375, then I have to go over and press the up arrow or the down arrow, and and just, you know, from having someone help me with it, I know that each press is 5 degrees up or down, so then you have to count. It's a real hassle, Brian. When you have to count up to 425 for something. Amen to if, that. If you Amen lose count, you're in trouble. <laughs> exactly. And, and I've been known to press, and I've adapted mine the same way that you have. I put right. some dots on there. Right. I, put, I got mm -hmm. a little variety of pack of peel and stick dots. Mm -hmm. So bake is one shape, broil oh. is another. So it's uh, quick to identify. Yep. Mm -hmm. On is one shape and off is another. Mm -hmm. And then I took a square peel and stick, cut it in half diagonally to make two arrows oh. and I put those on the up and down so you so, can't possibly forget which is on top and which remember is on which bottom. one's which that, that yeah. I've got down yeah. but if I push bake and I'm trying to go to uh, 425 from 350 right then I'm saying to myself 355 360 365 370 375 380 you know yeah. and then somebody says from the living room did you hear that article on the news and I've forgotten so I pushed the push the stop button in that upper right-hand corner area, yep. and I push the bake again, and I start over again. Yes. So, yes, there's a lot of the adaptive nature of how we've dealt with being a visually impaired person in a sighted world, where it relies on our memory to do things. I was just in a conversation with uh, folks at Cisco Systems. Mm -hmm. uh, ACB is involved with uh, working with them to make some of their products better mm -hmm. and acb executive director eric bridges likes to play video games and he says but the only way i can play this particular one i really like to play is to memorize that what i've got to do is is start the game press down arrow three times right arrow twice down arrow one more time oh dear. and then press enter yeah so he has had to memorize that mm -hmm. sequence of things before he can even get started mm -hmm. And we all do a bit of that. We all do a bit of that. Yes. But I'm excited that there's possibilities for making some of these things by, one, choosing the right product to begin with. Right. It takes a bit of shopping to do that. Right. But this isn't something you want to rush out and buy anyway. No. And then work out some as little, how 
how to put it, a system that causes you to have to think the least right. for those kinds of things. So That's right. This is where we are at this point, but the idea that I could have a stove that as I'm adjusting it says 355, 360, 365 would be spectacular, wouldn't it? Yes, it it would. It would be fantastic. I I use some other devices to gauge temperature. That's for setting the stove. But if I'm Mm. cooking meat, I want the internal temperature of the meat more than I want the temperature of the stove. Right. So I use something called, um, I've got to say this right now, the I thermometer. It's a Bluetooth thermometer. Uh, It's magnetic. It just attaches to the edge of your stove. And then there's a wire that leads from it with a meat probe that you put into things. You can close the oven door. Uh, It doesn't crimp the wire or anything like that. Ah. And then with my iPhone, I can monitor the temperature of the inside there. In fact, rather than even monitoring it, I can simply say, I want this to be beef and it knows that the internal temperature of beef is a certain temperature right now where did you get that from and that i bought from um at guys okay at guys is mm-hmm. one of the places you can get those kinds of things at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i use it it has two probes actually so if you wanted to you could do two things at the same time i'm not quite that versatile, I have to admit. <laughs> um, but I have a bigger version of it I use out at my smoker. Mm-hmm. And I'll put one of those probes down the chimney of the smoker to measure the temperature of the air in the smoker. Mm-hmm. And then I can use three probes in three different pieces of meat or parts of meat because mm-hmm. you have to rearrange things in there because it's what they call a side burner. So the heat is all in a firebox at the far left and the chimney is at the far right, so the smoke draws across things. Mm-hmm. So anything that's closer to the firebox, of course, is cooking at a higher temperature right. than those things that are farther away. So I can put all of those in, and it can monitor all four of those probes at one time and alert me when I'm uh, at the sweet spot, which in my smoker is 225 degrees is the best way to, to keep it. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 works, it works pretty well. I have a simpler instant read talking thermometer that I use uh, if I'm not feeling particularly creative. And I have one of those in each of my kitchens, the one that the family uses and the one that I use when I'm playing. So those are my thermometers for my devices, tech Mm -hmm. for temperature. Mm -hmm. Then I have tech that I use for measuring volume and weight. So I have a talking kitchen scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can do things in either grams or ounces. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can put the bowl on it. In fact, I can put anything on it. It's like a bathroom scale in that respect. Uh-huh. So I put my bowl on it that I'm going to put things in. I push the zero button on the front of it, and it says zero down. That means that it's already measured the weight of the bowl by itself. Right. So it's not going to include it as I add other things. Mm-hmm. So then the recipe might say, okay, so add uh, eight ounces of all-purpose flour. Mm -hmm. So I'll dump in uh, a bit to get started, and then with a much bigger measuring cup, I'll sprinkle it in until I hit that eight ounces, and then I'll press the zero again, Mm -hmm. and I'll add the next ingredient by weight. That's the way to do it when you're doing lots of baking, Mm -hmm. is to weigh your ingredients rather than measuring them by volume. 
But you have to really be into that kind of thing to invest in that. It's not so much that that was an expensive thing, but it does take time if you're going to be doing cooking in that that fashion. Right. So, um, like I said, kitchen scale. I have a talking microwave oven, the one that Hamilton Beach was selling. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be heartbroken when it breaks because they're no longer making it. Right. That happens a lot to us, too, doesn't it? We We have this device that's really working well for us. But there's no guarantee it will be there That's four right. years from now. They stopped making it. They stopped making yep. these things. Yep. So I actually have a couple of friends who bought two at the time. Oh. And just put one down in their storage locker. Right. Well, when the first one dies, right? Yes. Um, I just bought an Instant Pot. Oh, I just it's got really one, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I hope it works as well. I haven't had a chance to use it yet. Yeah, but I've downloaded the app. Have you? It's very. No, not yet. Oh, the app is very accessible. Actually, I bought it because Larry Turnbull told me that he said be sure and get the Bluetooth variety because then you can run it from your phone. And oh, Brian, I mean, you can, you can just see everything on there from the phone. Lots of information and so on. Now I haven't actually used it. It's been sitting on my counter a little bit. Since before the convention, I haven't had time to work on it. But um, I mean, I, I've never, I never owned a pressure cooker before because I was always afraid I'd blow up the house. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, I have the old rocker type mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, with the little weight that rocks back and forth mm-hmm. uh, that I got some time ago, and I've used it a few times. But in all honesty, it puts you on edge. Yes. Uh, yes. You know? It definitely and, would. And I want something that I'm enjoying cooking, not worrying about whether or not I'm going to blow up the house, as you put it. Exactly. Now, my grandmother had no problem using these for all the years. Right. But, but uh, they could watch I'm a little but, bit more distracted yeah, than my she, grandmother was. Yeah, and she could watch the gauge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and you can't, so. So this, this, this is going to make a big difference. I also have, uh, because of our, my friends in ACB recommending it <laughs> on programs like... Uh, uh, cooking with the hazelnuts and the like, right. and cooking in the dark, and right. is um, an air fryer. Oh, me too. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> proud owners of air fryers, right? <laughs> yeah, it gets its best use in my household anyway, in doing French fries mm. and chicken wings. Oh, uh, now both I have which done be very fatty. <laughs> yes. Now <laughs> I haven't done either one of those, um, but we really like. We don't like chicken breast we like the wings i mean we like the thighs and legs yes the dark meat and um i like it's great to take chicken thighs and just put some rub on there yep and um and put it in there you don't have to bread it and and put it in there on the rack and let them you know cook and, know. and yeah. i mean they come out so crispy and good you'd think that they were fried exactly yeah exactly so i like those in fact there's gonna somebody's gonna have to do an intervention because i now have two uh those metal bookcases that you can get cheap yes the hardware store yeah in my storage room and it all has rank after rank of home appliances and uh and you need a therapist brian i need a therapist bad (laughs) now Sometimes I, I'm going to share the share the blame here now. Okay. Kim Hurd, now when we say Kim, we're talking Kim Charlson, who's president of ACB. Right. She, <laughs> while she likes my French toast okay. for a Sunday morning breakfast, uh-huh. 
She also occasionally gets a hankering for pancakes. Uh-huh. And I've never been a good pancake cooker. No. Um, well, you better work on ways, that. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to do it more than once every two weeks uh, to do it. But anyway, because normally when you cook pancakes, you pour batter in the center of the pan. Correct. And you wait for the top side, mm-hmm. the bubbles that appear, mm-hmm. to pop. Right. And that's when you know to turn it over. And you can't tell. And I can't tell when that's happening. That's right. So it's one of those things that I do rarely. Well, Kim found a pancake maker machine. Oh. So think okay. of it somewhat like a waffle maker. Yeah. Uh, two circle depressions. That come together? Yes. Yes, like a clamshell. Yeah. No. But there's two circles left and mm-hmm. right. So you put mm-hmm. two scoops of pancake batter in there, oh. close it, mm-hmm. and when it's done, it beeps. You oh. open it up, and it's cooked on both sides. Oh, no, I didn't and know there was one with a beeper. All round. Uh-oh. <laughs> so Kim doesn't like my, my pancakes when they start to look like the state of Texas. Yes, yes. Oh. Well, that is an issue as well. It's just yeah, the way they look. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I do have some appliances that have come my way as a result of well-meaning friends. Yes. And uh, I use them. Um, I got a panini machine. Okay. You know those uh, sandwiches that get toasted on both yes. sides and are mm-hmm. kind of pressed? Mm-hmm. So my friend Rick Morin, who did the Yin Yang show here on ACB Radio with mm-hmm. me for a number of years, mm-hmm. likes panini sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And I said, I did too. And next thing I know, he brings one to the show <laughs> and then leaves it behind. And we did panini sandwiches on the air mm-hmm. that week. Mm-hmm. And so I still do panini sandwiches from time to time, but these things add up. Yes, they, they do. <laughs> you need you need a... Um... You need you need my um, Cuisinart grill because you can do all that stuff on there. On one thing. On one thing because it's kind of like a George Foreman, but yep. um, we use it with the grill with the grill side. I mean the griddle side out instead of the grill side, mm-hmm. and um, you can really adjust the height of the grill and um, how it, it it it's far 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 more adjustable than the Foreman. Um, and you can get that that sandwich in there. You can really press that sandwich if you want. I mean, just control it so much more. Yep. And yep. and it has knobs on the front to control the temperature on both the, the bottom plate and, and the, the top plate separately. Oh, separately? Yes, separately. So you have a knob for the bottom plate and a knob for the top plate. And... Um, then you have your um, six different um, adjustments for the height of the top of the grill. Right, how much you want it squoze. Yes, but the other thing that's different is that in the foreman, that top is attached. It doesn't actually come, it doesn't come free off the back of the grill. Now, in this grill, it's, the top is attached on the sides, and so therefore, when you get it um, higher than what it would be if it were attached on the back, mm-hmm. you can you can snap it out of that position, and it it's so it's free to swing forward and back. Therefore, okay. it can fit flat on top of your food, and and you yeah. and you don't so have there's no thin edge. That's right. Thick edge. On yes. Foreman, the back edge is always thinner. It's always thinner. Front edge. Yes. Yep. And then your grease catcher 
fits in a slot on the back of the grill. Oh, I like that a lot better than the fill tray in the front. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Now, the the downside of the grill is There's that always a downside. yes, there is, <laughs> mm, and and it, and is it's it and price? it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's preference. Um, but we like the um, grill that um, that plate on the foreman that has the deeper edge around it, yep. so that you can do like you can truly do like scrambled eggs and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, on the Cuisinart, you're supposed to be able, they advertise that it being able to do that, but the edge, the lip on, on it's the, not deep enough. it's not deep enough. So if you try to do eggs, they're going to run out. They're going to be everywhere. Okay. So you don't want to do that. But it has so many other possibilities. It's wonderful for doing um, salmon fillets because mm-hmm. you don't have that, you can adjust the top, yep. you know. <clears throat> it's great for doing um, other thicker cuts of meat or, or paninis, um, just all kinds of things, vegetables or whatever. It's, it's really good. Um, I don't use it as much now that I have my air fryer because my air fryer crisps up the chicken more. But it really does a good job on things like chicken breasts and chicken thighs and and those kinds of things much better than the foreman because as you said you don't have the thin back and the thick front thick front yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. i'd say it while i sit here and i laugh at myself about my problem the fact (laughs) is that and i'm going to get back to what you were speaking with at the beginning the iphone app kind Mm -hmm. of scenario Mm -hmm. that there are devices that were designed to do what they do. Right. They do one thing, they do it very well, mm-hmm. but that's the only thing they do. Right. And then there are devices that are trying to do many things well. Right. But whenever it's going to be doing many things, there are compromises exactly. that have to be made to accomplish that. Well, Brian, this has been fascinating and um, appreciate so much you taking the time. Take care now, Carla. You too. Thank you. Page 4, The Sound Prince Calendar On August 1, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its next conference call meeting at 8 p.m. on the conference line. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. On August 3, the American Council of Blind Lions will hold its monthly conference call meeting for Lions who are blind and visually impaired from around the country. It's a great chance to share ideas and ways to be involved in local clubs. At 9 p.m. Eastern, call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. August 4 and 5 is the Kentucky School for the Blind 72nd Alumni Conference and Reunion. At the Ramada Inn, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. Pre-registration forms and information have been mailed. For further information, room rates, or to receive a packet, call 502-897-1472. On August 6, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its committee meetings. Advocacy at 7 p.m., Education, Activities, and Technology, the EAT Committee, at 8 p.m. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. 
On August 8th, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. Call Rick Boggess at 270-684-4418 for more information. On August 9, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. August 10 is the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group meeting in Louisville, 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 502-895-4598 for more information. Also on August 10, the Northern Kentucky Council will have its next conference call meeting at 7 p.m. The number is 605-475-4700, intercode 155-619. August 11 is a GLCB roundabout, education and technology at 3.30, discussion at 5, dinner $5 per person at 6 p.m., bingo, games and crafts from 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, call 895-4598 to sign up. August 12 is the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind August Board Meeting at 11 a.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. August 12 is the Eastern Kentucky Christian Council of the Blind Picnic at the Perry County Park in Hazard, Kentucky. For information and reservations, contact Frank Campbell at 606-693-9360. August 13 is the KCB Next Generation Chapter Meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. August 15, learn more about using the Kindle app with voiceover on your iPhone and how that free app can give you access to millions of books. On the conference line at 605-475-6006, the code is 294444. The call is at 8 p.m. and everyone is welcome. August 18 is a GLCB roundabout with education and technology at 3.30, discussion 5 to 6, dinner $5 per person at 6 p.m., and games and crafts until 10. Sign up at 502-895-4598. On August 19, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana is going for a walk. Meet at Oxmoor Mall on Shelbyville Road in Louisville at noon. Have lunch at the California Pizza Company, and then walk in air-conditioned comfort. Who knows? Some folks might even get in a little shopping along the way. Everyone is welcome, whether or not you have a guide dog. Let us know you are coming by calling Bill Dethridge at 502-895-5895 or Deb Lewis at 502-721-9129. August 20 is a KSB alumni board meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call. And August 21 is a Kentucky Council of the Blind board meeting at 7.30 p.m. by conference call, both on the line at 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. 
On August 23, Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have its monthly peer support group meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office in Lexington at 1093 South Broadway. Call them at 859-259-1834 for more information. August 24 is the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group. It meets from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 for more information. And August 25 is another GLCB roundabout with education at 3.30 p.m., discussion at 5, page turners at 5.30, dinner at 6, $5 per person, games and crafts from 7 to 10, at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, 502-895-4598. There are two great events on August 26. First, Next Generation invites everyone to brunch at 11 a.m. at Toast on Market in downtown Louisville. Enjoy breakfast or lunch with a great group of friends. Email Amanda Selm at alsmoot87 at gmail.com or give us a call at the KCB office 502-895-4598. After a delicious meal, grab TARC 3 or an Uber or Lyft and head on over to the American Printing House for the Blind for Bards and Storytellers featuring award-winning fiddler Michael Cleveland along with Brian Allen. Enjoy toe-tapping bluegrass from 1 to 3 p.m. in the APH Museum. Free, but registration is required because space is limited. Call 502-899-2213 to sign up. On August 28, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will have its membership call at 7 p.m. by conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.